Welcome to episode three of Sullivan Street, a Counting Crows podcast. In this episode, we finish our ranking of the songs from August and Everything After. In the prior episode, we did songs number 11 through number six. And so from right now, please listen to our ranking of the top five songs from August and Everything After. basically at the 30-year anniversary of this album, right? That it was September 14th, uh, 1993. And as far as I could see, Mr. Jones... So so I wasn't... Right now, now, nowadays, right, the singles are sometimes released before the album, right? In this case, the album was released and it looks like the single came out a couple months later, uh, December 1st. So, and uh, right, it has sold millions and millions of copies. So, all right, here we go. The top five Counting Crow song, the official podcast ranking number five and this one uh was basically i guess bifurcated if you will two people had it very high and two people had it surprisingly low which would be a big hit round here so let's start off with dan yeah for me this is the song of the album uh it's uh it's a song that introduced me to the band in my head this is juritz's uh thunder road this is the you know the song uh it it's the one that when i hear it live you know hairs on the back of the neck it's uh yeah that's uh that's my number one <laughs> jeremy what about yourself uh, so this one was up there at number three for me and uh i i have to agree with dan about just the the chills you get when you hear those first notes this is one that i've heard uh open up the concert several times and just his vocals on it uh the instrumentation of it I just love it. And then I, I heard an explanation uh, on an interview with Adam for kind of what the song, you know, means to him. And he was talking about how all these things you're told as a child, you know, uh, are so important. And if you do all these things, life is going to be great. And you're just going to be this, you know, responsible adult and things are going to work out for you. And this song is really just kind of saying, you know, that's a bunch of BS. That's not how it works out at all. So, you know, maybe don't don't worry so much about these arbitrary little things and, you know, go ahead and stay up late and, you know, do all these things you want to as a kid and enjoy your life and don't be held back. Chris, what about you? Round here. They're, so they're I, a big hit. Again, I have this song lower than others at, at number seven. Again, kind of much like Murder of One, a struggle of like the song itself versus obviously it is one of the great they're great live vehicles. It has taken them a million amazing places as a live song. Mm. It is it is hard to... There's only one other song that I think reaches that heights, and we still haven't talked about it on this record yet, so we'll get there. And at the same time, again, some of these specific songs individually kind of hit me, and, and, and maybe part of it is having heard it more times live versus not some of these songs... Something like a perfect blue building stays a little more special in certain ways. Maybe that's mm. why it sort of landed a little low this time as I was going through it. But of course, it is still what maybe the only song on the record. I remember someone finding a, an, an essay on the internet a long time ago, pages and pages about whether the song, whether Adam is Maria or is it some is it a person named Maria? I don't know who like and you could write pages like connect texty textually connecting this song to other things and it's a it's a yeah a, a fascinating song yeah I, but it, and, and so and so still still amazing i will also say uh one of the best my other favorite bands gaslight anthem swipes a line from this song in high lonesome maria came from nashville with a suitcase in her hand i i always kind of sort of wished i looked like elvis is the, is their swipe of and rewrite of that I also, speaking of karaoke, again, if you ever want to really freak people out, you can do this song in karaoke, and you obviously can't do an alt in the middle of it, can't really do that, <laughs> right, but you right. can sing an outro like he does, and sing alt, and, and just really, it really uh, starts to stun people when you start singing words that are not on the screen and do not, at least in their minds, connect to the actual song. But it's fun. I used to be able to just 
sort of, I had, it's been a long time and you kind of got to get in the right mindset of how to drop things on top of it. It's actually kind of interesting, like how he does it. But I used to be able to put all sorts of things on, on top of this song. And it's just such a, I, still, again, an incredible song. Like, again, that, that I had that this low is, I think, a tribute to how just fucking incredible this record is. Dan, Dan, I need to thank you for putting it high because it balanced because I I I, I had it the second la- lowest and Ooh, and, and I knew that that, feeling bad and 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 I no no and I'm glad then that we didn't do my original idea of the ranking you know one by one because I would have lost a lot of subscribers by saying Brown <laughs> here was my number ten so and I could I was like we have to have some people that love it to counter me uh, and I, I guess it's just you know what it is I always like this and I do appreciate that according to Adam. If it wasn't for around here on Saturday Night Live, Cat and Crows, you know, probably wouldn't exist today. Certainly not how we know them. Yeah, I guess, you know, and, and I, Dan, somehow I agree with what you say. And I've actually, I, I think this will be higher in a couple of years for me. I've, I've gotten this reappreciation, especially after seeing them live three times last year. And I don't know, something just hit me. But it used to be like a song that I liked a lot, but I could... If they didn't play it in concert, I was like, yeah, no problem. And I have other things I want to see. And it's uh, too long. I guess for some reason, something like what you said, Jeremy, in the beginning, even though I think his lyrics are brilliant, I um, they didn't hit me, I guess, in my personal life as much. Kind of like what you said about some of the other songs, a little lower on your list. And that may be why I didn't have it as high. It might have been, you know some narcissism on something on my part <laughs> that I thought it was a great song, but it, it a little, and it maybe, you know, as I said, concert, maybe a little long or whatever, but anyway, I love around here and it's definitely moving up. And now I love when they play it, um, when they play it live. So, okay, great. So now we are in the final four, August and everything after his final four, I think already some surprises, the fact that round here was down at number five. So let's go to number four. And this is one that, Two people had it in the middle-ish. One person had it pretty high, and one person had it very high, which would be their first big hit, Mr. Jones. Dan, start us off. So this was my number two. Uh, it, it's, I find half my life when I'm talking about the Crows, I have to explain to people who don't know the Crows that this isn't just Counting Crows. Oh, they had this Mr. Jones song. I remember it from the 90s. And I'm like, but there's so much more than that. So I, I kind of find, the, find myself having to explain. Great song. I, I've even uh, tracked down and been to the New Amsterdam. So there's a bar in San Francisco that changed names. Uh, there is a little tribute on the wall to them. Uh, I think it's called the International Bar now, uh, and it's in the Mission area. So if you get to, get to go to San Francisco, I'd recommend you do it. But uh, yeah, this was my number two. Thank you for that trivia. I, I, that was one I never looked into. Yeah. Yeah. So you can still go to that bar. Oh, that, 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 that's awesome. What about, what about you, Jeremy? Where did you have uh, Mr. Jones? I reluctantly had Mr. Jones at number six. And um, I, I love the song. Absolutely love it. And I think this is just kind of a testament to how great this album is. That, you know, I can look at their biggest single ever, you know, in 30 plus years and, uh, or close to 30 years and say, this is my sixth favorite song on this album, not in their entire catalog. Um, and I, I think there's just something so relatable to it. You know, who hasn't been sitting at a bar before with their friends and you look across and here's this, you know, super good looking guy and he's surrounded by girls and you're like, you know, I want to be that guy. You're, or, or not so good looking guy. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, but but you want to be that guy regardless. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And uh, I, I think it kind of speaks to a tendency we have. I know I know I personally have it and I think a lot of people in our society do as well where you just have a hard time accepting good enough, right? You always want more. You always want to increase your status. And sometimes you need to just be happy with what you've got, because even when you do achieve these things, you're going to find something else that you feel like you need to achieve to make yourself happy. And, you know, as the song tells you, it's not always going to happen. You know, you can keep reaching for the stars, but eventually, you know, maybe you get too close to the sun. That's right. Chris, what are your thoughts on Mr. Jones? Well, so, and so I had it number eight, again, so lower, a little bit lower, although, again, it's a classic song. Another one where I kind of struggled with the, like, the the album version versus, I mean, I think the Across a Wire version is one of the greatest moments they have committed to tape. I think that five minutes there is spectacular. And in a lot of ways, I think that 
is what turned me into like a Counting Crows super fan is that five minutes of them taking this song that we'd all heard. I'd heard a million times at that point, you know, just nothing in the background. Oh, yeah. Mr. Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then them doing it that way. And you go, oh, oh, that is what the song is about. That is how. Oh, okay. And if and I in some ways think the song it's fascinating because I think the song is better because they succeeded, right? So it's it's a song written from the perspective of someone who wants to be a rock and roll star. And it, we're talking Eric right before about that Bobby Bones interview, and he get, kind of explains yep. the story, right? I mean, he's in a bar. It's kind of literally it's like Mar- Marty Jones is my friend, Mister jo- Mister Jones is yep. my friend Marty. His his father's a flamenco player. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's pretty direct when you think about it. But he's like seeing this and going like, man my life would be so much better if I could just be this star that I want to be knowing of course, it's not perfectly true, but then he achieves it. And it's, it's like, it is kind of awesome, but also kind of terror. And it's so the song is, I feel like kind of flipped in meeting so many times for him that I think that's part of the interesting yes. journey, you know, of the song. And a lot yeah. of interesting, great, like part of the interesting thing about the song live is that it's got so many different, like you've got the sort of the original version, you've got the acoustic version, the, this desert life they're playing it sort of in the middle and they've kind of returned to the acoustic thing a few times but done it kind of differently than the first one so it's I, and it's an amazing song and again i'm like i kind of can't believe i had it so low retrospectively but also again there's so many other things and again i think sometimes the things that are the bigger things maybe feel a little bit less special sometimes than the things that are you know a little bit you know, a little bit more personal because they're not, you don't yell them with everyone each at each show, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And for those that might criticize my putting around here as number 10 and, and, and that I want to be an iconoclast or something like that, but I had Mr. Jones as my number one and very upset. It didn't make the top three. And, and it's funny. Cause yeah, usually I think quote unquote, super fans of bands, they like to be defensive and say, well, you know, that single, and yeah, it's a great single, but that's not their best song. And if you bought the whole album, you'd realize that that was just a single. I, I think Mr. Jones from that Van Morrison-esque type of sha-na-na into the, yeah, I, I just, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying I play it all the time and it's that, but I don't get sick of it. I, I just think it, it's, it's amazing, unique, and so kind of crows. And as you said, um, Chris, I mean, they have two meta things on their album. One of them being mentioning ra- mentioning Counting Crows on track number eleven, Murder of One, and then they have this meta of like their first single is about wanting to be a rock and roll star. It made them into a <laughs> mega rock and roll star. And uh, I looked it up. They sold what seven million albums in the U.S. and, an- and at least another million overseas, and became yeah, a wildly popular and even to this day. Uh, so that, that's, um, that, that's unbelievable to me. It's funny you mentioned about the, I, this is the only counting, I don't, I don't love this. I, I, despite living in Japan a couple of years, I don't love karaoke. <laughs> I love my speaking voice, which is why I was in radio, but I do not love my <laughs> singing voice, but I did Mr. Jones once. And there's a guy that did not know me. He was kind of a jerky coworker, actually American guy. And, but he looked over at me and he's like, uh, that song is so you. Like he knew me, but he didn't know I like Counting Crows. And he just like he just thought I like the song or the lyrics, but it said it reminded me. But that actually the reason I say that too is there was another I was on a road trip once when I was, I can tell you, I was twenty either six or twenty-seven, and somebody had a mix, I guess it was a mixed C D, right? When you're burning mm-hmm. burning CD, they had a mixed C D and Mr. Jones was on and this guy was a pretty good friend of mine, just getting to know me pretty well. And uh, he and I was love. I was kind of falling asleep in the back seat, but loving that I heard Mr. Jones. And he looks in the back and he's like, "Eric, for some reason, this song makes me think of you." And then I was like, "Did you know I was like a obsessed Counting Crows fan?" Yeah. And so, so there's something about the lyrics that just really, like you said about Jeremy. I don't know everything about at being aspirational to you know wanting the pretty girl on the other side of the bar to the drinking. Yeah, I just think the song is just uniquely great too as a song even if the even if the lyrics uh, didn't hit me the way it did so it was a reason uh, it, it was their big hit first big hit yeah okay you know so, I was point yeah, out, interesting please. thing here so you know jeremy talked about that's a dan at the top talked about oasis right you know the, on that list of things yes. and it's it's interesting i'd never made that love love both bands love oasis never made and obviously love counting crows never made the connection before right Mr. Jones, right? You want to be a rock and roll star. 
one of the first songs on the first Oasis record is called Rock and Roll Star. And in that song, which was written far before they were rock and roll stars, uh, <laughs> Liam sings, tonight I'm a rock and roll star. And it's it's the interesting sort of dichotomy and part of, if you were trying to sort of describe the difference, the similarities and the differences in those two bands, right? It's that Adam says, I want to be a rock and roll star, right? And and Oasis just said, I, we're rock and roll stars. It's like, are you famous yet? Like, we are rock and roll stars. We get, like, the, you know, and I yep. difference is probably just, the amount of cocaine the two of them were consuming, the relative differences. But um, it's just interesting thought about that. The other the other thing I'll point out, which we'll talk about lots, I'm sure, when we talk about like the bootlegs, but one of my favorite lyric switches is uh, I want to be Alex Chilton. Because I don't really want to be Bob Dylan, but I, you know, I kind of wished I was Alex Chilton a few times in my life. So, Oh, that, that's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Jeremy, when you were talking about it in one of the other songs, I can't remember. Um, and then we'll get to Dan uh, uh, that um, about explaining the lyrics. Uh, uh, luckily, we don't hear as much nowadays about, you know, people saying, well, what, what's Mr. Jones and who's Mr. Mr. Jones? And is he talking about his private area? I did actually have a coworker that said that to me. And he, he and it's funny because people said that like fratty guy, this guy was definitely a fratty guy and, and I loved him. But he said, uh, yeah, it's a great song. Because somehow he heard I was a Chris fan. He's like, but it's about this. I'm like, no, it's not. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Look, we, I can help you do some research. I did want to say about Mr. Jones that we're going to go to Dan is that a little piece of random trivia. Of course, Mr. Jones, we all know as fan, Crows fans, is based upon a real person, Marty Jones. Now, Marty Jones did not co-write Mr. Jones, but he did co-write another song on this album, which we'll get to in a bit. We actually didn't mention it yet. Uh, Dan, you had a comment? Yeah, I, I could be wrong here, but I, my first gig was 97 and it was at the Royal Albert Hall and they played a cover of So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star, mm-hmm. which I think was an Oasis cover. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was at my first gig. So that would have oh. been recovering the satellite tour. Oh, wow. It's the, um, it's the bird song. Okay. So you want to be a rock and roll star. Listen now to what I say. Just get an electric guitar. Take some time and learn how to play, which of Got course it. So they did. The, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, great. They should cover some Oasis. I think they did some in the Shim Sham. They, they did a couple of the Oasis songs somewhere. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I forget now, but I, I did listen we, yeah. to those once each. I didn't listen to them a lot. But all right, here we get the cat. Now, here we, we're getting to the top three ca- official ranking, of course, here. Top three kind of career song. And somehow we already went through their top two singles, uh, which would be Mr. Jones around here. So here we go. Number three. And this was a song that two people had very high and two people had moderately high, I guess which would be Anna Begins. Dan, start us off. Yeah, this was uh, middle for me. This was number seven. But I just love the lyrics in this one. You know, he's he's kind of talking about being in love and, uh, uh, you know, and um, just just the lyrics are just fantastic. I'm going to want to quote the lyric, but I'm not going to get it perfect. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll come back. I'll go check it and come okay. back. But, uh, yeah, the lyrics. Thank you, Jeremy. And it begins. Yeah, this one uh, probably surprisingly is number one for me. And I feel like it's the most relatable song for me on the album. And that probably just pegs me as a messed up person. (laughs) uh, You know, it's just the song is kind of a mess. You know, there's the chorus doesn't really break in until the very end of the song. Um, The the lyrical patterns is just they're just kind of all over the place. Um, But I I just love the way it speaks to me. And uh, the way I've always interpreted it and the the reason I can relate to it so well, not to get too personal, but um, I, I just feel like in the beginning when he's saying, you know, I'm not ready for this sort of thing, it's early in a relationship and he's he's putting himself out there and all of his flaws and everything. And he's saying, I'm not ready for this uh, to be a part of this person's life and be the support that they need. And then as time goes by, this person realizes that, hey, they were right. They weren't ready for it. And now when, you know, at the end, when he's going into the final chorus, he's saying he's not ready to lose this person. And I think everybody can relate throughout their lives. You know, there might have been a person that was special to you and you pushed them away. And by the time you realized it, it was too late. And now they're gone. And, uh, Mm. you know, it's it brings me back to a lot of feelings that, you know, maybe we're not such good feelings, but it's in a comforting way. Chris, what about uh, yourself? Yeah, begins. I'm with you. It, it's it's such a beautiful and the, the the odd pacing of it is so beautiful too. Oh, that's true. It's another kind of a classic. I think a little bit like time and time again that way, right? Where it's like 
the pacing of it is not traditional. <laughs> like it's not right. If you're like if if you were to try to like sit down and break down the structure of it, it is it's sort it's a b a it's sort of a b a b, but it's not. You know. And yeah, it's like one of those songs that if if you've ever again ever been had those complicated feelings about someone, such a like sort of beautiful and perfect expression of it. I had it down. It's again number six. But that and was this hard. Was, this was hard. Yeah. This was in the middle where I was like, "Oh, these all these songs are real great." In the middle here, but what you were saying, Chris, before about the about the time of life and stuff, I think mm. this was written about, if I remember correctly, an Australian yes. woman when he was backpacking when he was what twenty four or twenty two mm-hmm. or something. So, but that ties into exactly what both Jeremy said and what you said about the kind of the coming of age as like post college coming of age, right? Like that you're trying to, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to figure out like, is this like again this this relationship is it meaningful? But what does that mean? And what is, am I am I ready for something that's big and important? And we all had kind of, I'm sure we yeah, all had a last little bit multiple of multiple years, right? And sure, kind of, and to to commit, right? That's what I think. Some of it's about committing, where you kind of know if you have a relationship in high school and college. Sometimes you kind of know it's not going to last or be your wife or husband or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Any other thoughts? Uh, I will also add just another else? another great another great opener. They they very they've done it's not a common opener, but when they've opened with this, I actually think this is an amazing way to start a show to sort of break into this the 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 way it comes in, the way the band kind of slowly comes in. I I like one of the things they do that's not a, I think a traditional thing as a live act is sort of the slow opener, right? That like we're not coming out and like hitting you full force, we're kind of coming out and letting this sort of breathe yep. and open up and this song i think does that very very well when they yeah they again, it's been a long play, time but it, they, they either played this as number one or two when i saw them last and i know on the last tour they also started a bunch of songs or a bunch of yeah what you said i think speedway they started a couple right to try to do that untraditional yeah no i you know mr jones might be my favorite song from the album but and i think it always maybe was but anna begins might have been the one i was obsessed with the most because of everything you said, it was the lyrics, it was the non-traditional, it was this kind of, right, maybe thinking about my love life at the time and this and this kind of thing. You know, let's just say it's not the only reason, but I loved it so much, I might have named one of my kids in part because of this song. So that if, if that's not a testimony to the power of either Adam's lyrics or my, you know strange obsession with this band, I, I don't know what is. And I have to say, I love both. This is the one song that, some people get upset that basically the version they played in the last, what, maybe 15 years Mm -hmm. is a different version than the one on the album. And I love both. I know this is the one song that gets some people riled up that, Oh, I don't, especially if they're people that love the album, but aren't huge kind of crow's heads, right? They did love that album, but maybe didn't buy album after that. This is the one song that kind of gets under them. But I, I think the, kind of harder version, I guess. It's the more electric version. I think it's also fantastic, and I understand why Adam loves that version. Yeah, live, I mean, this gets kind of the complaint of, like, why isn't he actually singing it? Because he kind of, like, right, this is the it one a little song. bit more. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. And, and, yeah, and I almost get mad that people say, oh, he speaks all his lyrics. I'm like, no, but there are some songs he tends to do it more, which is this one. Mm-hmm. But I said, if you watch him in his other songs, he is he is singing. But yeah. this is this is just how he feels, yeah. And I did check it, by the way. You, were you at the O2 show in Dublin? Was that the yes. one? Yes. That he they opened with that. I am jealous. Yeah, it's did. been a long time since I've seen them open with it. Now I'm a little bit jealous of you, Eric. That you. But that was part. That but you know, you know, that was part of my friend though, because I joke because he hadn't seen him in a while, and as I said, he doesn't understand my obsession as much anymore. But that was he kind of said like, "Here's six songs I want to hear." They played five of those, and some of those were not regular songs like "Anna Begins," and mm-hmm. I was like, "Are you getting? Did you get your list to him ahead <laughs> of time or something?" Dan, did you want to say something about the lyrics? Did you? Yeah, I didn't want to get them wrong. Uh, so you try to tell yourself the things you try to tell yourself to make yourself forget. Yes. To make yourself forget. The lyrics are genius on this one. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's yeah. Adam's best. Yep. No, when you were reading them, I was like, this is genius. You know, it's yeah. funny. Thank you. I have those lyrics framed hanging on my wall about five feet away from me. And, and is that something that were you would you be able to get a print or something with those or yeah. is that yeah 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 I, I, funny that was the one song I kind of thought about doing that too but uh, I have not yet but I might um, so we're down to the last two so uh, Crows fans listening know 
what the last two are, but maybe you don't know their order. And so let's go right into number two. And I got to say that, uh, well, anyway, I'll say that when we get to number one. So number two, I've got to say, I don't think there's any doubt that this, except for maybe having Omaha number 10, I think the biggest surprise has to be that number two is Sullivan Street. And I'm guessing it's not just because you loved episode one of our podcast. So... Dan, uh, you didn't have it as high, but you still had it pretty high. When I'm talking about Sullivan Street, maybe you're surprised that it is ranked number two. Yeah, it is a surprise, actually. It was number six for me. This goes back to the opening of of the concert, right? For me, many of them I've been to. It's been Sullivan mm. Street that's been, been the opener. And uh, it just, for me, it just sets up the concert really well. I know I'm going to have a really good, you know, few hours. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was my six, but uh, super cool song. Uh, Jeremy, you had it very high. You were one of the people that pushed it. You know, they can blame you, Jeremy, if it's too high. But you you had it not, you had it number two. So uh, please talk about your love of Sullivan Street. I did. So um, this song has kind of had two different meanings to me throughout my life. Um, you know, the first one, I, I spent quite a bit of time deployed in my military time. And this song always came to me before we would go out in a convoy. And you're kind of, you know, you're kind of worried about what's going to happen. You're a little bit scared. And um, you're out on the road and I, whenever I heard this song, um, it would always make me just think about, you know, taking the long way home and you're going to get there eventually. It's just going to be a while. And it was, there was always something comforting about it. Right. And then, uh, later on, you know, hearing Adam talk about it a little bit more, um, it kind of hit me in the same way Adam begins does, um, mm. where he, he talks about, you know, no, no matter how good a relationship is, sometimes you just know it's going to be over. And I've been in that, I've been at that point several times in my life and it just really, it, it really sinks in with me when I hear those lyrics, um, from that song. And, uh, just, I love being able to listen to their songs and think different things, completely different things about them. And they, they all feel valid. And that's, what's great about talking to you guys too, is there's so many different interpretations that we can pull from one song. Fantastic. Chris, what yeah. about you? And where did you rank Sullivan Street? I, I had this number two. So I, this is lines up exactly where I had it. I, you know, I'm, that's why I'm with Jeremy. Like there's, I think of the realizations you can have in life that the idea that you are in a relationship and you are, go, and you are going to be the one to end this relationship is one of the more devastating ones you can have, especially mm. when maybe the other person does not see that. And so the the way he evokes that and talks about it, it's it's so beautiful. There's a great, there are a couple of live versions. He really just kind of like tells the whole story and it is heartbreaking. The other thing I would say about this is I think this is one of his best vocals. He is so, even and live, especially, especially the, the 90, the earlier versions, like 94. Like, again, just going back to the deluxe edition today, just to kind of use that as a, a jumping off point for the live stuff. I mean, he is the way he sings this is so beautiful and and what he gets out of it and i'd actually always forget about there's there's really beautiful backing vocals on the song i think it's maria mckee and it's like that's part of i i, I just i love this song it's so beautiful and perfect and it's one that it sort of snuck up me a, a friend of mine one of my best friends from college i remember him talking to me about how a girl that he really liked wrote the these lyrics to him in their high school yearbook. And it didn't, again, until I, I was like, oh, that's sucks, man. <laughs> and I didn't, it wasn't until, again, I got further into the song and I was like, I think later I was like, oh, Frank, man, that is, that is devastating. <laughs> I didn't real. I don't think I realized that when you first told me how sad that was. I, I think I sort of knew, but now I really know how, how sad that one is. Oh, one okay. other thing I will say of the songs that I really love, this has, some of some of my favorite live versions, like the openers to Dance Point, when they open with this, especially when they were doing "I Belong Where You Belong," because I belong, I I love that, and that's actually it's interesting because you talk about those the feelings that you have. When I started going to see shows with my wife, when I was like you're kind of falling in love, they were they were doing that, and that feeling of well, that lyric is feels very appropriate in my heart right now. But I always there's a version they did in the mid aughts about all that like does does she want to run and the way mm. it's like it's weird it's like it's like sad and so it sort of fits the, the the lyrics but it's the way they sang it i think they got so much joy out of singing it together 
that like Adam's got this like huge smile on his face just totally took me out of it. I'm like, I'm, I'm not begrudging you your happiness, man. I'm just telling you, this is a sad as shit song. And I want to <laughs> feel a little sad while you're singing it, man. I want to feel quite so like you're just like loving how how sad this is. I don't know. Oh, that, that's that's so funny. Yeah, I, I had Sullivan Street at number five, and this is definitely one that's moved up on my you list. You named I the think. podcast after this, I know. Eric. <laughs> I think I don't, and I don't. Yeah, I know that's so funny. That, that that that's another shocking move. I guess I thought more of Sullivan Street, right? It's a place that that cruise fans can hang out. And in fact, it's I do have a Sullivan Street memory because it's not a big street, but I, I this is when I was a Crows fan. This might have been, gosh, this would have been, I guess, like '98. I remember. Mm-hmm. And I and I kind of think it was raining actually, so it reminded me of raining in Baltimore too. But um, I went on a first date right either on or right off Sullivan Street in the village. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not the Sullivan Street that he names it after, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a small little Sullivan Street in the village. I went to this great, and it was funny because, and I remember even afterwards that it was like a typical, uh, I guess it's personal, but like where I convinced. I guess you'd say a woman who was, you know, she, I guess was a co-worker, but in a different like building even, but she, I guess you could argue she was kind of out of my league a bit. And when I convinced her at the party to go on a date with me, my friends were like, you're the man. And then the first date was fine, but I left leaving. Okay. She wasn't not she was very neutral after the dinner and probably won't hear from her again and i didn't for years so but it kind of brought up but these insecurities too right and that's some of the stuff that that jeremy was talking about and so it had like i could get this girl for a date but i can't like it, it just ends at that and you know i'm in this never-ending loop uh i have more to say but jeremy i do want to go to you right now oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no, you. please just, please just to uh chris's point about adam's vocals on this song um, and you were talking about karaoke earlier. I can attest that his vocals are great on this song, and mine are not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's one, a thing want, <laughs> one thing I want to say about Sullivan Street, and I thought of this when I guess I named the podcast and was listening to it more. And as I said, it's definitely moved up. But do you know how like every band or maybe even every album there's a song that there could be the single songs, there could be your favorite song. And then there are the songs that I guess it's the prototypical. Is that the right word? Right. Or the most like this, I think Sullivan Street is the most definitive Counting Crow song from this album and from this era, which is like the lyric. Right. It's almost like, yeah, someone could like Mr. Jones and not like the album. But to, if, if I hadn't listened to Sullivan Street and they love Sullivan Street, then I think they'll probably like Counting Crows, August and everything after. And in I also love that it features my two favorite band members, I guess, which is just Dave's little, right? That Dave's has the mm. has, has the, the catchy guitar. And Charlie is featured actually quite heavily, which I didn't realize until the last couple of years, how important the piano is. You know, go back and listen, if you listen to it tonight or whatever. The, the, yeah, the piano is so good in, in, in the song, and I think wouldn't be as good otherwise. And uh, yeah, his lyrics, I just think, yeah, it's a very August and everything after song until of course, the actual song August and everything after it got released. <laughs> but uh, so there you go, Sullivan Street. So before we get to number one, which of course people could have figured out, I'll just not just recap, but I also do want to say how close some of them were. So so uh, number 11 was Ghost Train. And that was a pretty clear 11, uh, unfortunately, despite me trying to move it up the rankings a little bit. Um, and then actually, I can see why some of you had trouble because that was the one spot Clearly, Omaha time and time again in perfect blue buildings, and that was the tenth, uh, ninth, and eighth respectively. They were that was basically a three-way tie. There was only one point that separated them. Um, then you had a fairly uh, small gap, but clear gap, uh, which would be number seven, reigning in Baltimore. Number six, murder of one. Number five, round here. Number four, Mr. Jones. They all had basically three points between them. Uh, but once you get to Mr. Jones, I will say Sullivan Street, Anna Begins, and Mr. Jones were all fairly tied, even though there was uh, a you know a point difference between them. But a clear number one, and in fact, it might have been, in fact, in, in the whole gap, uh, the whole list, except for the gap between Omaha and Ghost Train, which I could get, this actually had the largest gap between number two and number one, number one being the ranking or ranking from Counting Crows. Uh, Dan, any thoughts about that being our number one? Yeah, lots of thoughts. Uh, I guess the first thing is if I want to introduce a friend to the band, that's the song I tell them to go listen to. 
before any other song, before Mr. Jones, you know, go listen to Round, um, Ranking uh, and you'll get an idea about what the band's all about. It might not be, you know, their greatest song, but it'll, you'll get an idea about the band. I love, again, when listening to it live, the fact in the middle they can go off and I've heard everything from Oh Susanna, Lippy Kids, Thunder Road, so many different interpretations in the middle of it. And, uh, and obviously on that Live at Town Hall album, it, you get Thunder Road. Um, but it's, uh, you know, such a good song. The only downside is that when you hear this song live, you know you're near the end of the concert. Um, <laughs> apart from that, what a banger. What a banger. That's great. Thanks so much, Dan. What, what about you, Jeremy? Where, where, where did you have ranking? I actually had this at number four, which makes me feel like I, I was probably a little low compared to everyone else. Uh, but I love the song. This song just makes me happy. It's hard to hear this song and not smile. And uh, I, I actually always tie it to one of my dumbest memories of uh, early adulthood, I guess. I was 17 years old. And a friend of mine and I, Jason, he's my best friend since I was five years old. We got arrested for smashing mailboxes. This is what you do when you grow up in Illinois, right? <laughs> you get bored and you go out and you destroy some mailboxes. So there's there's the line in there about Mr. Henderson. And I know, you know, from reading up on it, it's about a character named Mr. Henderson from a book. But one of the one of our arresting officers was Detective Henderson. So <laughs> I always for some stupid reason, I always equate this song with driving around in this cop car and pointing out the mailboxes and confirming, yes, we smashed that one. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, aside from that, um, I, you know, as, as Dan mentioned, um, some of the live versions I think are just incredible. Um, the Thunder Road version for me, I'm a huge Springsteen fan as well. Uh, so hearing that is great. And I, I also had the opportunity to uh, see them when Rob Thomas opened for them. Mm. And, you know, they actually brought Rob Thomas back out for the encore and Adam gave him the second and third verses of Rain King. And it was just just awesome to hear his interpretation of it. And it was vastly different than the way Adam would have sang it. But it was just it was great. Just I don't know, just overall a great song. I love it. Dan, before we get to Chris Dan, another comment on Rain King, please. Yeah, just on that, Rob Thomas, I've actually got a recording of that. So if anyone wants a copy, let me know. Oh, great. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, I didn't know about that. So thanks for that. Thanks for that tip. Chris, you please tell us where you put Rain King. This is my number one song. This is uh, I, this is my favorite Counting Crow song. If, well, in if fact, I, you're the only one that had it as number one. It was like uniformly high, but you, that gives you some uh, that must make you feel good, Chris. If I were to rank songs that exist in the world, <laughs> this would be top five at worst for me. I, and probably at some days in my life, this has been absolutely my favorite song in the entire world, no doubt, nothing else. If you had, if you told me I could pick one song to go on a desert island with, as long as I get to keep the live versions too, it is <laughs> rain, it is Rain King, and it's actually not particularly close. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's one of it's the I think it's to, to Dan's point, it is the thesis statement right about the the kinds of feelings that the band evokes and the kinds of feelings about who you are and and what you're looking for in the world it's a sad song but it is ultimately sort of like hopeful and affirming right they yes. are looking for something and a belief that that you know we talk in some of these songs about kind of how oh, man woe is me like perfect blue buildings is like i got to protect myself from from myself and i'm you know and and Rain King is I I deserve this. I actually it's it's a it's a self care. It's a it's a, a song of love. Although of course the fact that you are the Rain King is suggestive that perhaps you are not a perfect person and that you maybe there's some sad pieces to that within you. Obviously the live versions help. They are some of the great I think performances and and I could talk. Well, we could probably do at some point. We'll probably do a whole podcast about live versions of rain king uh i think my favorite versions are those with the, of the ones they've done somewhat regularly would be the ones with the um someone to watch over me the gershwin song which i always think is a, and again a really beautiful sort of representation at some point i had a t-shirt where i got those lyrics like printed on the back it's it's yeah, I think that is it's it's so perfect, and I could talk for again. Like we could, I don't want to, I don't want us to be here for three hours. It's not so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop myself there. But that is, that is the song. 
But you me. said, I, Chris, this is why I hope I hope uh, we keep our podcast because you, you either say things that I, I was thinking or or a unique perspective that I totally agree with. Like, yes, I was going to say that. Uh, but you did mention something that I was thinking about actually quite a bit recently, yeah. which was that my favorite songs. And really, if you look at my top five here, I think Cannon Crows are at their best when um, they when Adam mixes the optimism with realism, with pessimism. And it's all kind of intertwined. And you're mm -hmm. right, Raining in Baltimore and Nate Perfect Blue Buildings and maybe even Time and Time. No, but look what I rent. Mr. Jones does that, right? And mm -hmm. that mixed and Rain King and Anna Begins. And I would argue which, with four and five, Murder of One and Sullivan Street as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. Uh, this has also moved up with me. I probably would have had this six, eight years ago or 10 years ago, but now it's number two. And Dan, I... It, it clearly in their shows, whether you like it or not, as a Crows fan, this is clearly their showstopper in the in the concerts. There's no, I mean, around here, of course, when people say get very very late, they get excited and they love to hear the intro of Mr. Jones and some of those. But when you talk about that, gets the largest applause and gets the people on their feet. It's it's always ranking, at least in the last. Five to ten years, right? Maybe I don't know if it was always that way, but it clearly is that way now. I think Chris. it's always been kind of like one of those because it's especially the way Adam presents that song, the yep. hands up at the end, right? There's oh, like an iconic the image best. to it. Yeah, that that it, so so did anybody hear recently? Adam said it might have been on that podcast or might have been on a different one. We were just talking with Bobby that he said. That's he loves all his albums, but if he had one that we he would re-record mm -hmm. is August and everything after, and partly you probably have a different version of Anna Begins and stuff. But he said it's a little shiny on certain things, and there's a certain things he would do different. But clearly, the ending of that song is one he would change instead of his like yeah right. He would do why don't you commit, which I love the why don't you come out from a right. that just that is incredible. Yeah, that moment is yes. I'm with you. That is a perfect. Yeah, that is a per and that's. I will say the the live aspect with that song. It's not just the vert like the alts and stuff like that. It's that they've played that song everywhere from the most gentle possible way to play it to the yes. heaviest possible way to play it, and they all work. <laughs> you could yes. speed that song up. You could slow it down. You could add a mandolin. You could take away the drums. You could like Rob Thomas could sing the middle. Like it does not matter. It will all work. It's all going to yeah. be amazing. Actually, but my favorite thing about the Rob Thomas thing was somewhere he said he heard Rob Thomas sing it and he was like, what do you do? Like what, what how'd that melody come to you the way you're singing the middle? And he's like, well, I just sung it the way it is on the record. <laughs> and I was like, I <laughs> beat me. I had no clue. That was how I sung it on the record. I hadn't thought about that in years. So he's sung it a million different ways and they all work and they're it's just like that's that to me is aspect of it too, that it's the most flexible song of theirs. It it always oh. it's an opener and like and I'm with you, Dan. They should go back to opening with it sometimes because I hate that it's towards the end and like an indication of the end. I always yeah. think there are songs that lose. I think hanging around is is obviously the biggest the song uh, that's yeah. hurt the most by this because it just always like they've always just played it at the end. So it's like a great song that always makes you go, well, I guess the end is here. Wah, wah. You know, <laughs> like and I don't want Rain King to become that, guys. Come on, Counting Crows. Let's bring yep. it. Bring it up in the set list somewhere. Dan, what, what do you have to add on that? I'm going to start a petition that the crows open <laughs> with Rain King mm -hmm. from now onwards. Adam, if you're listening, come on. every show. Get the get the crowd going right away. You're you're right. That would be a big difference from starting with Speedway. I'll tell you that much. It's certainly but not the uh, slow versions. The slow oh, versions are pretty slow way, and yep. but those are beautiful. And they could uh, do it every. Just alternate. Just do an acoustic <laughs> one night, electric the next, and just yeah, or do both in the same show. Right. Sure. Start with the acoustic and then with the. I, I could just do that with it Rain three King. times. It. Don't worry about it. Just play. Just play Rain King three times in the set. I will be very happy with that. The other thing I have to, the most important thing here. <laughs> the other thing I have to say about Rain King is that it has. It's my joke that it's his. Okay, it is one of my favorite lines from him, but I. But Adam has much more complicated, insightful, thoughtful lyrics. That, but the he she's been dying and I've been drinking. I I I used to joke with people. I'm like, he should have won a Grammy immediately after that, right? <laughs> she's been. I mean, come on. Is there anything that like sums up like I don't know early twenties angst? Then she's been dying and I've been drinking. Uh, great. Okay, so I do have some 
there you go. I do have some housekeeping to do. Oh, oh, I also wanted to mention that the Marty Jones thing, if I'm correct, uh, he uh, co-wrote Anna Begins. Mm. I didn't know that. I actually didn't yeah, forget that. Yeah. He was one of the, I think there's a couple writers on there, like five maybe, and he was one of them. Yeah, there's some other things I could say, but I did want to give both, I think Jeremy and Dan, Dan, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, had maybe a little story since we haven't had you on before about e- me either, meeting either uh, Adam or some of the other bandmates, uh, just the kind of a fun way to end this uh, August show. Uh, Jeremy, we'll start with you. Right, yeah, so I know you guys had mentioned in the first episode that, uh, you know, there might have been a couple of concerts you went to that you'd had too much to drink uh, prior to the concert. And uh, this was one of those situations for me. This was, uh, I, I want to say, back in 2014 in uh, Tucson, Arizona. And it was at a casino, Casino del Sol. And uh, my friend and I were up there for the concert and we're staying at the casino. And we had had, you know, way too many drinks before getting ready to head downstairs. And we hit the button for the elevator and the doors open up and Adam's standing in the elevator. Right. And, <laughs> you know, we kind of touched on earlier how how we think Adam feels about super fans. Maybe not not the best impression. So he probably feels the same way about drunk fans. And that was <laughs> that was certainly me. So I get on the elevator and the first question out of my mouth was, are you who I think you are? And, <laughs> and, and his response was, I don't know. Who do you think I am? And I was like, you're, very Adam. that is a very yeah. Adam response, too. I, I said, you're Adam. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. We're going to your show. And he's like, yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And I, I did get my shit together long enough to ask him for a picture. And it's a horrible picture that reflects off this shiny elevator wall. But uh, just a great moment. And I know he probably was not happy to see me that day, but he, he handled it well. And um <laughs> Adam, if you ever hear this, I apologize. I was a drunk guy. <laughs> but, it, but it means a lot to the super fan. I know I almost get annoyed sometimes that when kind of casual fans or someone that just goes to the show bothers, not, not that, oh, they got a photo and I didn't, but I always like, you know, it's got to be so tiring to have all these people want to take selfies with you and everything. So I'd rather it just be the hardcore fans that it means so much to them when the other people put it on their Insta and then maybe forget about it a year <laughs> later or something. Uh, Dan, did you have something to share about either meeting other band members or uh, anything yeah, else? Sure. And note to self, uh, I want to go before Jeremy next time because I can't top that great story. So, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, so yeah, please. Uh, I thought I would just share a little bit about the meet and greets in the UK uh, and and how they did them. And unfortunately, I can't see them going back to doing them this way, but they were a great way of doing it. So uh, I went to the Hammersmith concert a few years ago. And when you turned up for the meet and greet, they handed you a poster and a pen. So you had a poster for mm. that specific tour uh, and a pen. And essentially, there wasn't, there was probably about 20 people doing the meet and greet. And you got to go around to each band member and ask them to sign the poster. So not only were you getting their signature and maybe something dedicated to you, but also you were getting a little bit of time with each band member. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fantastic way of uh, of doing a meet and greet. And as I say, I can't see them ever going back to that, but but what a great way of doing it. That is fantastic. And, and you got a, was there a particular question? Like maybe, forget about, did you ask a particular question or, or get a particularly interesting comment to like a non-Adam band member at that meet and greet? The only thing I remember is uh, like not clicking with Jim. So, um, and this is me, big fan uh, again, alcohol and stuff. But just you know, trying to make some conversation, and every every answer was a very short answer. So maybe, maybe he wasn't on his game, or maybe he just didn't like the fact that Brits kept asking him lots of questions. But uh, yeah, well, that's funny because at the meet and greet I was at, I kind of stood next to him, and he was the most friendly and jovial you know I, I, th- I thought well this is his youthful um and he jokes now that he's not as young anymore but he was always considered right almost like the younger brother of so maybe that maybe that was part of it okay well another great well any other final uh thoughts about all, i mean the only thing i want to say and this will and then i'll go dan we, we'll mention this at later um, but when you talk about the feeling of the album, and certainly the the band members have changed, and we'll talk about that at a further time. Um, but I did kind of want to mention that that my uh, my buddy Dave Bryson, not my buddy, wish wish he was, uh, he co-wrote seven out of the eleven songs. So he much more impactful, I guess, on the feeling, shape, and sound of this album uh, compared to the others. And he actually did co-wrote two of the demo songs too, which we'll talk about in future episodes, A Love and Addiction and Shallow Days. 
Uh, Dan, you had a wrap-up comment? I just had a thought around, so at number 11, we all voted Ghost Train. When the album was being created, obviously they wrote a song that then got updated called August and Everything After. So to maybe an action for the listeners to write in to see whether they would substitute Ghost Train for a copy of August and Everything After. Oh, right. You're saying that if 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 Ooh. the album actually had that on the track list, yeah, right, which, which got omitted. Would people be, uh, you know, do they think that the album would be different and in a good way? That's interesting. Interesting. That's, you know, the, the song, and this is like, be a bummer for me, but the song that they, they, at least the story is, and what makes the most sense in the sense that they're the most similar, at least in the original versions, that like got kicked, like, that kicked out or that kicked out August and everything after is raining in Baltimore. That's what I would guess. Yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, with if, if ghost train, I feel like it would really change the tone of the record. If you had a second kind of like slower piano song. So I don't know if it would, I mean, I'd love that. I love the August and everything after and the, again, they've never released the original version, but the live versions that Adam did in 2003 that were like solo that I assume are basically a pretty good, version of what was on the record or would have been on the record yeah that's, that's so you're, you're yeah i i know what you're saying so it'd be interesting right to sub the ghost train because we the ranking had a number 11 but the other interesting thing that you're bringing up would it have been an interesting sub for raining in baltimore take raining out and put august in right would, would, would some people have liked that um yeah. interesting uh jeremy any other comments on august at all before we wrap things up no, just a just a great album, and I think like we talked about a, a coming of age album. Um, it just and it can mean so many things to so many people, and I think that's that's the mark of a great album right there. You know, it can it has so many different meanings, and none of them are wrong. And that's that's kind of what I love about it. I can talk to you guys, or I can talk to you know my friends who have listened to it, and we all come up with something different, but it's all great. All right, Chris, I will, before I say goodbye, I'll leave you with parting thoughts. Well, all I'll say is I think I'm going to steal Dan's idea. After 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 the discussion we've had, I'm going to steal Dan's idea and start giving this to anyone I know who's starting college. I'm just going to be like, <laughs> right. here you go, man. Don't, or, or lady, you don't you don't know <laughs> that this record's exactly what you need to hear over the next four years right now. But just just trust me and just, just put this on once every few months and eventually you're going to, this is really going to connect. I, I guarantee it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we wrapped up our August review and I really appreciate uh, Dan and Jeremy uh, joining us and the uh, don't worry, or maybe worry, uh, you will get an invitation again at some later podcast. Chris, as always, fantastic job. So until next time, see you down at Sullivan Street. Thank you so much. Oh,